You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to Land and Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. We're right here for another week of Habitat and Land and Conservation Focused Podcast right here on Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. This week's prod- podcast brought to you by Stratton Seed Company out of Arkansas. If you want to learn more, go to gostrattonseed.com, check them out on Facebook, or recently started up a Stratton Seed Company Instagram page. So go check them out, give them a like, follow them along, and uh, check out their their uh, seed blends and and all that wonderful stuff for food plots. Yeah, what when you said Arkansas, it kind of got my my juices flowing. I know the first time we had interviewed them, we talked about swapping hunts, them coming up and and turkey hunting, and and um, they came up, had success, and then in return, we're gonna go down and and do a little duck hunting in and around Stuttgart this coming year, and I'm excited about that. I think uh, Brian Tao from QMA yeah. commented on my post when I said, we got two new turkey hunters to the world. We brought these Arkansas boys up to Missouri, and they killed a couple of turkeys, and he's like, why would you bring more Arkansas guys to Missouri? <laughs> and I said, because this Missouri boy wants to go to Arkansas come duck season. Uh, yeah. He's like, oh, that's a good point. So, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I think you ought to go check out their, go check out their Facebook page and all wherever they're at. You know, I don't remember what day it was. You and I went and checked on food plots. Yeah. Interesting story. Yeah. Um, for everybody, we try to be as as uh, realistic as possible or share everything about our successes and failures. And we're going to share share a failure story for you. And this is one of the biggest problems when managing a cattle farm. And we have. Wonderful looking food plots. We've had great rain this spring. Um, I, I will say execution of everything on, on our part. I mean, fantastic. Yeah, we had uh, not to you know tap ourselves on the back, but <laughs> we and you know it was the first time we've ever planted with no till drill up on the ridge tops of of my family farm, mm-hmm. and so we've always done other ways. And w- this was the first time we. We had the drill up there, and we used it, and and, and, it's, uh, and it's been used on other portions of the yeah. neighboring farm, but just not not in that exact location. Those food plots. Well, we 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 made a lot of new openings and fences. And that was a big part of it. Is mm-hmm. There was no way to get a drill back there, so we did some cutting and opening up new gates and making new gates, and uh, we we used the Genesis up on the family farm and have phenomenal success and you and i were going around very excited we're like oh the best looking one of the bunch was over in the food plot we call fiasco we headed over there and on the way we're like what's that bull doing in there Uh uh-oh and there was one there's more and there was i don't know 10 to 20 cows that had gotten over there and when they all when they all got together it was 18 or 20 and in the flash that they they ran by 
Um, yeah, I, I roundabout counted about that yeah. many. The good news is they weren't in there very long, and uh, I think the food plot will recover just fine. Um, and a couple of the others, they didn't. They walked right through. You know how cows, when they get out, they like to walk those boundaries and see where they can go and and uh, where they can't go. And so they were more walking the boundaries and were stuck in another part of the farm before they got back to the food plot. So all is good, but it was a frustrating time. And a, There's two ways to look at it. I mean, we... We want to understand just how well, you know, there's browse pressure um, on this. And this was specifically, they got into a plot planted in the heritage mix, um, the heritage blend. And, and how well is that that food plot going to respond? And, you know, it's not deer browsing on, it's cattle, and they're going to have that much more pressure. Um, so it, it'll be good to see, okay, how do these plants respond to such an intense browse pressure early on what happens yeah they're How only quick six they inches tall most yeah. of the plants and you know it kind of goes with the whole development of the heritage blend for for the guys that are just kind of joining us the reason for the heritage blend was an, an option to get great forage in smaller food plots and a lot of times we we talk about planting food plots in soybeans but the reality of that is it takes a it takes a pretty big area to successfully grow soybeans, and uh, just because deer love them so much and they can quickly overbrowse it, and you have a, a food plot plan for all summer, and by July you have basically a dirt patch or a weed patch because they've eaten all the soybeans out. So the Heritage Blend has got species that they don't browse on as much with the milos and the, and the uh, millets. millets. But uh, it has a lot of other stuff. So you've got soybeans and the cowpeas and lab lab and the sunflowers and the buckwheat, which they do browse on a lot. So, um, yeah, it's a great makeup, and we're going to see how it recovers from cattle grazing. And I think we, we should probably ensure them that, yes, we did go back and find the hole in the fence and fix it appropriately. Yeah. It, what, what we kind of thought may have happened was um, during the – the last prescribed fire, there's a dead tree that ended up burning and falling and fell on the, the very corner of a fence, and um, that's a was the culprit, but it's fixed, it's and no fixed. more cattle. I went back and checked it a couple of days ago, and it was all great, and it was actually coming on really strong. So Very good. Um, anyway, yeah, so this week's podcast um, is kind of going in review. We had a lot of topics on that last film, film number three. We hope you guys enjoyed it, and we sure enjoyed putting it together. That was that was one that was a lot of fun to do. Oh, yeah. And uh, we hope you guys have had a chance to watch it. If not, go to our Facebook page or YouTube channel. It'll be film number three, Revival. And uh, that's basically going to be our review. There's a lot of topics. We'll give you a kind of a – we've got a couple turkey hunts we'll cover pretty quickly. Um, then we've got food planting our food plots, and then we've got government programs, and then we have our last, I guess it was the last hunt, mm-hmm. um, which we'll cover the hunts, but we'll talk more about the, the kind of the, the conservation hunting heritage side of it and what makes it so much fun. So anyway, that's what we're going to cover this week. And Matt, you ready to jump on in? Yeah, but we've got, we've got an exciting announcement before we get into that, I almost said dive on in, but like, you know what, divert, skirt, skirt. Um, we 
have been looking kind of at the schedule, the calendar, and trying to come up with something just cool, something new to do this summer with people, with listeners, um, those who are following along with the podcast each week. And if you think about it, I mean, we're recording this, this June 9th, this could come out, you know, in a couple days, um, but deer season is not that far away. Like, oh. it, it's scary how quickly summer, spring went, summer's here, and the question becomes, you know, and we get it all the time, we actually had a, a listener email in, what can I be doing right now to better myself um, and better the habitat um, in preparation for deer season? Um, it's kind of got us thinking, um, and we've we've got a new opportunity um, for everyone listening and those who don't listen, encourage them to listen with this opportunity. We reached out to QDMA um, for assistance, and they have online modules. Everyone's familiar with their Deer Steward 1 course and their Deer Steward 2 course and 3. Um, and then they do on-site modules, which are just workshops or classroom setting um, in the field. Um, workshops that they do on various tracts of land, but they have online modules. On various topics, I'm going to cover them right now. Um, aging deer, deer antlers, deer home ranges, movement patterns, whitetail fawns, food plots, QDM and the QDMA, whitetail biology, and the whitetail rut. Just the hot topics that everyone wants to know about. Um, so one of the things that this time is perfect for is just diving in and getting information on these topics. This is going to allow people to understand deer better, habitat, how deer use the habitat um, with these online modules. So there will be a code for everyone who listens, who follows along to purchase those modules. Um, And what we're going to do, Adam and I are going to be studying each week along with you guys um, Crap, these we different have topics. We ha- we're giving everyone homework and, and having homework ourselves. Um, so if you go on, we'll have a link in the, the show notes to follow along with each one of these topics that QDMA has put out there. Um, and we're going to go through for the next nine weeks. We're, we will have one week in there when we're at convention. Um, we're going to take a break from this this little course, but 10 to 20 minutes of every podcast for this time frame, we're going to be talking about these different topics, these different online modules, and working through them with you guys. We want to, we want to share that process of, of uh, this information. So each podcast, again, up front, 10, 20 minutes, we're going to share how this is applicable, what the real-life instances where this would become, um, where, where you could use it, and all these different like personal observations, what we've seen, um, and share it. And hopefully, that's going to encourage people to go out and follow along with us, get this information, and be better hunters, conservationists, habitat managers throughout this summer time frame. I'm excited for it. Adam? Yeah, you said homework. You lost me, but... Um... <laughs> You bum. Yeah, no, no, I really, I really am excited about it. You know, uh, out of all the stuff and things we we do, we haven't gone through these modules yet, so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to to uh, to kind of see what they have and talk about them. Hopefully, encourage others to get involved and and take them take them as well, just so we can all learn together. 
Well, and, I think that uh, that's the value of it, uh, of learning and, and going through it together. Um, because people throughout this time frame, if, if you're working through it at the week ahead of the podcast, um, you can ask questions, send in questions, and we're going to be working through this stuff with you. Um, so we're going to know what's going on. Feel free to reach out. And we even talked about um, doing some discussion kind of boards within a Facebook, um, our Facebook page to get everyone listening, talking about this, sharing information um, with each one of these modules on a weekly basis. I think, and again, like I said, there's there's power in the numbers and groups of people doing them together. So it's a unique opportunity, and we're going to be sharing that code um, and more information with this in the next couple weeks. But this is on the horizon. Be watching for it, be waiting for it, um, and be sure to sign up because again, they're they're giving um, price breaks on these online modules for Land and Legacy listeners. So you don't want to miss out or just randomly sign up and forget about others. Oh, there's a discount, so be watching for it. You want to go ahead and talk about the app now? I want to cover the app. You want, now. You're excited yeah. about the app. I'm too excited about it now, and I and you guys wonder. Uh, this is how much we love you, um, because this app, uh, and and we'll have the we'll have the guy on the we're working on getting him on the podcast, but a recent uh, a new friend um, and kind of has a really cool story uh, coming, but he shared this app on his Facebook page and I checked it out and then told Matt and brother and we've all been just nerding out over it. And it's called the iNaturalist app. And it is the greatest thing since Facebook. Since and, sliced uh, bread. Throw it back that it, far. It, I, the first day I found it, I spent more time. The next two days, I spent more time on the iNaturalist app than I did Facebook. Um, and it is an app that allows you to take pictures of plants, animals, insects, fish, uh what else? All, all things nature, yeah, basically. Everything Trees. Nature. And uh, I just clicked onto the website and they said they have 165,000 different species cataloged. observed, cataloged within this, yeah. this app. So Again, you basically from- can take a picture of that species and, and it will automatically, if your phone, it needs to access your gps basically so if your phone um if you set that up you can have your phone taking pictures where it where it catalogs each picture with a gps coordinate on where you took the photo and then also the time and then when you enter that photo in as an observation it will then and you say what do you see you click that button and it will give you an idea of what type of plant that is so you need to take better pictures and you put it in there, and most of the time, I'd say 80% of the time, it, the first one that pops up is the species that I'm looking at. And I can sit there and then click on that one, compare the photos, make sure it is, select it, confirm that's what I believe it is. And then later on, um, you'll get a notification that somebody certified that's what an, you saw. An expert, right, yes. has reviewed and, so, and certified. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's so stinking cool. I cannot tell you how exciting it is for me. I mean, Matt and I were in the Flint Hills of Kansas yesterday, yesterday. Yep. and there was a couple of species that I'm like, I don't really know what that one is. So I clicked on it, and boom, it told me exactly what it was. What was that slim flower? Uh, yeah. Something. Um, something kind of unique. weird name. Um, yeah. Something P. Some slim flower. I don't remember what it was, but 
it is just a super cool app, and we get the question all the time on um, Slimflower Scurf P. Scurf. Um, we get the question all the time on how what 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 species is this? What is this? And this is a way that you can hopefully figure it out and and uh, right there in the field. And so, and and know with pretty good accuracy in a, in less than a minute of what it is you're looking at. Um, it gives a little bit of a, a history of that plant or or of that species. Again, we've we've done insects. I've done a snake. Um, I've done a roadrunner before. But just various anything you want to ID, give it a shot. See what happens. See what it comes back with. But um, with great accuracy of plants which is incredible to me the detail um of the pictures and the accuracy of what they're coming back with so for me i had the observation of a milkweed already knew what it was but i just wanted to catalog it so it's common milkweed took a picture so when i click on the observation it has the two photos that i selected the name and then the location so it's got a little map and then also it'll say casual grade, needs ID, research grade, basically the certification. But I click on common milkweed, and it gives all the other pictures that people have entered in, some of the best ones. And it gives the scientific name and then some other names, commonly called common milkweed, butterfly flower, silkweed, silky swallowwort, or Virginia silkweed. It's a species of flowering plant. Um, what? Uh, the species is native to southern Canada and as much as the eastern United States, um, east of the Rocky Mountains, excluding the drier parts of the prairies. It grows in sandy soils and other kinds of soils in, in sunny areas. It was one of the earliest in North America. So I'm guessing it's uh, earliest in North, North America. North America documented. Then it gives a map of all the other observations where people have have uh, registered it. And, of course, just like they said, there's just green from southern Canada all the way east to Matt's homeland and everything in between. So That's it's a distant, far-off place. <laughs> yeah. So really, really cool. And uh, I encourage you guys to check it out. And well, it will certainly help you along the way. That's the thing. Everyone's looking for that little edge in the field. Um, or in, we, we come across stuff that's like, wait a second, what in the world? I know kind of roughly what that could fall into or, or similar plants, but I, re- I don't know the name. And there's so many different types of names out there for plants in different regions, different common names. But it is an extremely valuable tool um, for you to use a catalog of things that you see on your property and just know with certainty um, that an expert is going to review this. They're going to tell me what it is um, in a short amount of time. And then from there, I can I can be able to, you know, from a year-to-year basis, go back to that location, see if it's if it's increasing in population or decreasing, or if new species have come up, especially if you're running prescribed fire through properties, the diversity that can come back. Um, this is an extremely valuable tool. And I, I, I think so many people are going to find it find the value in it and use it and share it. Um, you know, it might seem nerdy, but this is cool. <laughs> yeah. You, by this time, if you've already hung on to the podcast this long, you're a nerd just like us. Let's just face, face it. it. Face yeah, it. Let's embrace it. And know that we're the guys who are out there trying to improve the land. And it's not just about killing the big deer. So, and I, I think you, I think you may have said it, but this is a global thing. This isn't just North America. I'm looking at a map right now. Um, of all the observations across the globe, and 
almost every every continent is just lit up with these observations. Um, so it's cool. You're you're corresponding with people from everywhere, experts yeah, you, around the world. We didn't you know? say that, but you can actually go and and search for the people, and and you could find the the observations that I've made. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yep. make sure we don't. Um, observe or make any observations next to our tree ca- tree stands because they'll have our <laughs> gps coordinates yeah. to them but um yeah so there you go that's our little tidbit for you guys this week is check it out i promise you if you like iding plants you know what that was that stupid game uh, a couple years pokemon go or whatever remember how you would take your phone around and you would oh yeah i, I never played it but um, you sound people, pretty knowledgeable you would see people like going around and and playing it and trying to find these you little capturing something, right? characters or something like that. I feel like this is the, the nature version of that where you're like going around and you're trying to find these plants and ID them and figure out what the name is. And it's super cool. Check it out. iNaturalist app or iNaturalist dot... Is it org? I think it's, it's iNaturalist.org. Yep. Well, this so, is cool. I just I was looking through some of the most recent observations and there's a track. It's a, it's a deer track in the mud, and they were able to identify that. I, I had no idea. I thought it was just a, a, a species, but um, like a picture. But there you go. It's it's an incredible, incredible tool. So you want to review this film? Yeah. Talk about the dirty details of it? Let's do it. So film number three, Revival. Uh, we named it that, well, frankly, because there was a revival in the spring and, every year, uh, every year there was a revival, and so um, it this this uh, film was kind of like new life. It was kicking off spring turkey season in Missouri. It was planting food plots, and it kind of strung out over a couple of weeks. Um, the turkey hunt was April sixteenth, and then we were planting food plots in in early May, and so. Uh, Basically, we covered a lot of stuff, but it all meant new life and fun in the outdoors. Of course, uh, spring turkey season is a very special time for us. So, as you would guess, we kicked it off with in great style this year. The night oh, yeah. before, we all got together and fried up. Um, we fried fish, and we fried turkey, and we grilled deer. Yep. I have to make sure I get that right because my <laughs> wife told me you didn't gr- you didn't fry you didn't the fry deer, deer meat. You grilled it. We grilled it, and so we uh, you know it was classic. We talk about this in the podcast deer camp, but it was turkey camp. We all got together. We were having a good time. We ate good, and uh, it was it was what turkey season is all about. And I think I said it, but um, even if we had not killed anything on that first day, we still would have had a blast because opening day that was some of the most fun i've had for the opening day of missouri turkey season uh probably ever and and, so, and conditions were horrible for turkey season terrible worst opening day weather i think i've probably ever seen except for one youth season um back in virginia but i mean this was this was rough this was tough hunting yeah we heard a, a few we heard a few gobbles in the morning um and then they shut up pretty quickly after fly down and, uh, you know, it was just a fun day, even though it was cold and windy and chilly and there were snow flurries and it snowed the day before pretty good. Um, it's still opening day and Mr. Seth Harker, uh, took his first bird on his farm, which you'll see more over the films to come. And, uh, it was an awesome opening day. No complaints. No complaints at all. And then, and actually we scouted 
after that kill, we went up to the farm um, that we had the, the turkey camp at and scouted for the next morning and found birds. And we'll get into that, the rest of that story later on. But we didn't just stop there with, with a, a late morning turkey kill. Um, we kind of finished the rest of the day with additional scouting that led to another another successful hunt. Um, but like you said, tough hunting. But we it was it was three three of us all together and Matt um, from from Slate and Glass filming it all. Four guys walking around the woods, and I, I think that everyone goes through that transition of of, of hunting. Um, and I I know you you feel the same way. Been fortunate enough to to grow up and be successful turkey hunting and, and kill turkeys, and and now we have. Um, you know, more time to be able to devote to turkey hunting, um, in this short three week season. But, you know, it, it wasn't a big deal if, if we didn't kill, it wasn't like a, Oh, we're together. Let's just, let's kill. Let's get birds down. It was, let's just go have fun. Like Seth was late. Like we were, we were running across the, the open field to get to, um, a great listening point the first morning, but it was fun. We're just laughing like it, just lighthearted stuff, and and um, just it's an enjoyable. That's you know, why it didn't we, matter. That's why we encourage everybody to invite friends and family to hunt with, and try not to take it so do- make it so doggone serious. Mm-hmm. Is because if you're with friends and you're having a good time, it doesn't matter if you kill anything or not. You're just out there having fun and enjoying God's creation, and. Uh, I think that's where a lot of times we make it too serious. So that day we didn't make it too serious, and we had an absolute blast. Can't wait for next year. <laughs> and and then just a little joke on on Seth, he shoots the bird, and then tries to shuck the shell out of his gun. And we still don't know what happened. I need to kind of follow up with him. But when he shucked the pump, the actual action um, or or the the foregrip there was something that broke and it would not slide back closed. The action was stuck open in a, in a safe position, but he shoots and then brings it back towards like the trigger guard. And it just is done. Like it's like yeah. I quit working yeah, and he's walking funny. out of the woods with a broken gun and a dead bird over his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Yes, for sure. Do you remember what we were laughing about so much when we were on the film, it shows us out yeah. talking. I don't even remember it. Cause I'm like, I was like pointing my fingers and doing stuff, and and we were all just laughing. I don't, I don't remember what it was. I but think we we're cutting up about uh, inside jokes from way back when. Gotcha. I I don't even remember what it was, but I was like, dang, something was clearly something was funny. funny. But and that's pretty much how the whole day went, um, or whole morning. I guess yeah. we had to end it at one. But um, anyway, yeah. So you saw how that one happened. You know, turkey season's over for all of us now. Uh, I think even in the very far yeah. north, yeah, even Oregon's shut down now. So, Turkey's over. We don't want to dwell on it too much, but you know, just encourage you to take out new hunters and fan, friends and family, and uh, just enjoy it and make it a good time. Just embrace every opportunity. Yeah. yeah. So, part number two. Ooh, RTP drill in Stratton C. In Stratton. That was C. all you. That was a and well and that was that was working with Matt, um, his grandparents owned that twenty acres there at Granny's Corner and getting seed in the ground and helping him um, get started there on the property, it, and that's what I love about that drill. 
and this isn't like a, a shameless plug, but the drill was dropped off. We put seed in it, calibrated, made the necessary adjustments, and we're planting in no time. Like it, it was really super, super simple. Um, but the the thing that I think the takeaway from it is the planting strategy, um, and and the the reason why the heritage blend was planted in the places that it was planted, and then the game changer soybeans planted in the portion of the farm that it was planted in. Um, they had two existing plots, those very small um, portions that fed into that larger opening that had never been planted. It was it was old fescue pasture. Um, or an open area. I don't even know if it well, had been grazed before. Uh, no, it had not. Had and not. if you remember film number two, while we were in Mississippi, Matt was spraying out the fescue uh, huh. up around the perimeter of the house because we have plans to release those native grasses that are in there to where there's kind of that more of an edge where there's native grasses that then go into the... So basically there's a yard and then it goes to native grass and then it will feed into heritage blend and then the big portion is screened off now with the heritage blend and the native grasses to where um the stratton game changer beans yes will do really well out there in the biggest portion of the opening and that's the important part of the 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 edge ow ow I just hurt my arm. <laughs> you just banged it on the yeah. on the desk. desk. And I thought I, I thought there was a shot or a firework outside. <laughs> I was looking around Ow. trying to figure out what that was. Um, but th- that's the importance of that step down habitat uh, of working that edge and having that screen. His parents still li- grandparents, excuse me, still live right there. But we can still offer security in that that larger portion of the food plot um, with those with the edge habitat, and then the heritage blend offering that that great screen um across the top of that farm um but again if you remember in that second film he was spraying out the fescue um and everyone was seeing how tall that fescue was like it was thick there's a heavy thatch we planted um and they've got we've i think we've shared some pictures or or i know they've sent over some pictures of uh the germination in those areas, I mean, that's pretty. It's pretty impressive um, to see. Okay, that was a, an old, basically abandoned field, um, and now it's a food plot. And just a matter of spraying, um, and then getting seed directly into the ground, planting, and letting it do its thing. Um, but the, I think the other important thing mentioned earlier was where the heritage blend was placed. Um, those are the areas where a lot of deer are traveling to and from, and that's an area where. If we were to plant just soybeans right there, they'd get wiped out as deer traveling, leaving that larger food plot. Um, there was just it was just silly to plant in those neck down areas. Um, straight soybeans they weren't ever going to amount to anything. It would be six inches high probably the whole entire summer. But we threw in that diversity, that high diversity blend that does include soybeans in that area to get more forage. Um, and since they had been planted before. There was not much weed competition. They had sprayed it out, um, but they had dissed in, in years past. And we can start with that, again, that high-diversity blend that's got a lot of biomass. Build that back up, improve that soil, improve the food plot acres. So this fall, they can either leave it standing um, or terminate it, plant a fall blend in there, um, and have a great greens in that portion because they've got a hay bale blind, down on one end and then another stand um, for a different wind option 
up on the other plot. And we're talking about even moving a, a either tweaking the bail blind or putting another one in to where yes. you can hunt it on multiple different winds. Um, and the thing about it, you mentioned leaving a portion of the heritage blend standing. I, I would say that's probably what we'll end up doing or recommending for them is the center portion of those two smaller plots, laying that over, drilling in your fall fall blend, um, but then also leaving the perimeter to where if you look at the way that place is laid out with the soon-to-be edge-feathered areas um, in between it and then you have the native grass and the heritage blend strips in the in the edge to where a deer really is going to have to move through that whole area just to check and see what deer are in the food plots or around those food plots. So it's going to make it a great place to be uh, specifically during the rut because if when there's does in there browsing, those, those deer bucks are really going to have to hunt and come out into the food plot just to make sure that they could still... Um, check and see if there's any receptive does out there and which is obviously going to lead them directly past either that well positioned blind bale blind or the tree stand um it just you can you can work the importance big picture thing is your the way you plant these plots um the way you leave some portion standing um versus replanting or drilling through can help steer and and direct deer in certain areas um, it doesn't have to be you know, just uh, an edge feather, and that can certainly complement it, or, or hinging trees. Just standing tall vegetation will, will create that edge. Um, so that's important, too, if you're looking for breaking up a large field or getting deer pinched down in certain portions of large fields. You can do that, use that technique um, anywhere. does not matter where. Absolutely. I, really, that's, I, I that's, think, you know, for me, that whole little section was... The, the story with that is we talk about it only being about 20 acres and and that whole they've had food plots in there they've never planted spring food plots they've only ever planted fall mm-hmm. food plots so it's a whole new learning experience for all of us because it's like how many deer reside in this little wood lot and then or how many deer is it going to pull because yes. that's the only soybeans or or high value crops gosh i don't even know how a long long, long ways, ways. Man. All the way up to the other farm we yeah. hunt up there. Yeah, um, it's a. Uh, it will definitely change the way that little twenty acres hunts because now there's a huge. Uh, what do we say? An acre, acre and a quarter. It's acre total. and a quarter. And so, um, there's a big change happening, and with all the edge feathering and then the bedding thickets that are that are getting created, it's going to be an amazing little spot because. In years past, there really wasn't a huge attraction. There wasn't great cover in the area. Now they're going to have all that. And so it'll be really cool to see how their fall plays out. Yep. And they're, again, they're right there. They can monitor it. They can know when to hunt, when to hold off, um, know when the time to strike. And that, that, when you're hunting a small property, is the most important thing to consider is that's the pressure you're putting on it. And to um, me, it's one of those, too. Let's it's 20 acres, grandma and grandpa live right in the heart of it, and you may mm-hmm. think, I don't want to deal with that. That's too close to their house. But it's the most attractive food source in the area. The deer are going to just get over that. Oh, yeah. And and they even before it was there, their daily – I remember when we were consulting on it, um, we jumped and saw deer, and there's deer sign all over that place. So it, it's it, – they hunted it. They've had success, but it's only going to get better. Um, and that's the important important part to consider it's only going to get better. It's 20 acres. Don't overlook it. Um, don't think that, you know, I, I can only do so much. 
um, it's 20 acres, make it the best 20 acres that you can. And then from there, um, see what the potential is. But I don't overlook a property just based on size or just based on the fact that you've hunted it for years and don't know anything different. Oh, it's, it's just a crummy, crummy property. Grandma and grandma, like I said, live in the center. No, we can, we can work around that. We can make it, um, better because deer are, deer are using it and going to continue to use it. Absolutely. And so while all that was happening, um, I was meeting with Kristen Bird of the Missouri Department of Conservation um, for kind of some really cool stuff we have going on at the Prairie Hollow property. Now, if you've followed the Prairie Hollow property story from the very beginning, the first, second podcast we ever did was talking yep. about it, I believe. Prairie Hollow Breakdown, uh, part one. And so... Uh, you know, it's that property has been setting really unmanaged. It's had cows in the bottoms. We planted some uh, corn, uh, we, or we've haven't planted it ourselves. We've leased out the ground for somebody to plant corn, and we benefited from it. Um, but that has really been the only thing, other than a couple food plots here and there. And as you've known, we're doing a timber harvest um, that actually is supposed to start back up here again soon, and. So there's a timber harvest going on, and outside of that, we we did another th- or three other government programs, and so um, we're working towards it, but we haven't hit it yet. But we will cover a podcast specifically on government programs. But for the time being, Th- this is the film, snapshot film number three, the cliff note version of the of the uh, government programs that we did. These are state programs. So not available in all states, but here in Missouri, there are these programs available to landowners to basically motivate and encourage people to do habitat management on your farm. Now there is a $6,000 limit on each landowner. And so for us, and that goes per year, so for us we laid out about $6,000 worth of government programs, which covered three main things permanent forest openings, cedar removal on a glade, and then temporary forest openings. So the permanent forest openings pay out the best, and those were basically finding 40-acre units of all timber and opening up with a dozer or track loader and removing the trees and de-stumping the vegetation that was there. That's why it's called permanent. It had to be completely de-stumped. So we had a track loader come in and push over um, trees. And it I forget what it is, but I think it's two or three acres per 40 acres. So we had two... So we had three food plots. And two of them were two acres. And one of them was two and a half acres. So totaling six and a half acres and the payout was seven hundred and fifty dollars an acre that's basically the going rate for the average um, equipment cost per acre here in here in southern missouri it's funny funny how that works out right yeah and, and it's, it's structured like that that's why they do it they, exactly. they take invoices for every every i mean i send invoices that we got for the for the work so they can kind of bill or or work on the next year say hey sounds like um, the cost of excavating has gone up we need to add that in there and increase the payout for um, 
the temp- permit, permit for forest, forest openings. And so six and a half acres were opened up on three different areas, so three different 40-acre units. And we had uh, about two-acre food plot, about a two-acre food plot, and about a two-and-a-half-acre food plot put in, and we got paid $750 per acre. So that's a total of $4,875 that we got paid for uh, or that we got paid to put in these permanent forest openings. Now, the way it worked out, I think the... and. I think we ended up paying just about that in in the uh, dozer work, and so we pretty much broke we even. We, exactly, you, it was it was you, an even you can't draw. Go into it and say, "Well, I want to make some money. I'm going to make some government money." Hell, Free money, yeah. Basically, what we what we got was three food plots where there's never been food plots, and we got basically paid to do it. Well, we got. That if we had a dozer, we would have done it ourselves, and the only thing Tried. we would have had to pay, we we wouldn't have done as good as they did. I, no, we, this guy and this crew did an amazing job. But if you have that equipment, or if you have a dozer, basically all you're paying for is, is diesel fuel to put into the the dozer, the piece of equipment. But in our situation, didn't have that, didn't have the ability to clear it ourselves. So you know, it we're not getting paid ourselves. But in a way, we, we are, but we're putting it right back into the property and paying that um, operator and, and the business um, to do it. it so if we, free, It is free money. Yeah, and if we owned the ground, we would be getting food plots for hunting purposes, but we would also be getting an increased value of our property because now we no have, we have uh, more open ground. So it's a huge win-win, and it's a way that the... Missouri Department of Conservation is motivating landowners to improve the habitat on their farm. And again, it's not just the, this 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 type of program um, is offered in in many states. You know, not just Missouri Department of Conservation. Um, a lot of state programs offer very similar practices to this. So be sure to look into your state um, to see if they have something very similar that you can enroll in. And, and we will cover this later, but this is a state program. Now, there are a lot of great federal programs, and you think of some of them, CRP is the one that comes to mind that uh, almost everybody's heard of. But there are tons of other federal ones, including glade restoration, woodland restoration, savanna restoration. Um, there is... WRP, equip all, equip all programs to where you're doing quail um, habitat restoration or pollinator um, mm-hmm. stuff. All this stuff is wonderful for so many. When you think of pollinators, you think all oh, the butterflies are benefiting. It's also very beneficial to the deer and quail and turkeys. And so kind of use a, a, a open mind on how you can use these programs to benefit your farm and your habitat and your animals that inhabit there um well here's here's the thing about these permanent forest openings yes you can view them just as a a food plot that's two acres two acres two and a half but in addition to that um we're also what we mentioned that there in the film or or in a recent podcast is there will be grass strips early Mm -hmm. successional strips soft edges planted around the borders of each of these plots and then from there we'll go in and do some additional um, edge feathering of the hardwood species mostly oaks and hickories um, 
and and edge feather those with chainsaws around in certain in the right places. So not only are we getting um, these acres destumped for food plots for great high quality forage, um, but then there's the additional habitat that we're doing and following up with this. So yes, you you could stop at at just a food plot and say great turnaround, um, great improvement. I increase the value, but you can also take it further. And additional films are going to show this, um, but w- there will be buffer strips. There will be soft edges. There will be edge feathering in the right places to steer deer. Um, and that all equates to more habitat, better fawning habitat, better turkey nesting um, habitat right there along the edges of those. Better erosion blocks. control. Yes. Better uh, pollinator habitat with some of the some of the uh, species that we put in from pure air natives and on our edge habitat. Um, Better success of food plots around the edge because of the lack of competition with treetops. Yeah. There's so many more benefits in, in stepping up your food plot game and, and planting perennials around the edge and planting your annuals or perennials in the middle. And, and there's just so much more that we'll walk you through. But this week we're devoted to film number three um, review. So the next that did not get highlighted, but another program that we did was cedar removal on a glade, and it equates to a cedar canopy of less than 40%. So a pretty open, semi-open glade, and we got paid to remove cedar, eastern red cedar, on one acre of it, and the payout was $155. So my brother and I, actually, Mm -hmm. Matt, you were gone, but... We went in and cut for an hour and knocked out all the cedar trees and 155 bucks. And I think, and looking back, I remember it now. Basically, the payout for the dozer operator, because we hired the best one we could find in the area, he was a little bit more than what the payout was. So 750 an acre, he put it in, and it ended up being just right at $5,000. And so... We did the cedar removal, and we didn't pocket any of that, and we just put that into covering the rest of the of the uh, dozer fee. So basically, that's how we broke even, is we did some work for free. Um, now, where it really gets interesting is we did the temporary forest openings. That's the first place you saw us stop on film number three with Kristen was the big bluff. How awesome is that bluff? I love it. Pra- prairie Point, as prairie we point. call it. It's an incredible view, and... and- like we've talked about, it's probably one of the better views in in a large area uh, around there. I, I that from what you can see up the valley, um, the ridges beyond and off in the distance uh, gives you a great snapshot of the topography and what that area really should be like. And I kind of scratch my head, I'm like, well, I wonder how many more points there are like this out there. Yeah, because well, I know exactly where one is. Remember, um, just up Bryant where we showed that property um oh yeah to joe that would be awesome one to go up and see oh yeah but anyhow yeah. it's kind of like wow. we have a couple more that we're going to do just because we know how yeah. awesome it is for the habitat now you think about it the one the the wonderful thing about the temporary forest opening uh, and the reason for it why the state has it is there was another 40 acres without any openings and basically it means that um we can open up a canopy and get paid the payout for this was um, the same thing. We did two of them. It was a total of three and a half acres. So one of them was an acre uh, and a half, and the other one was two acres. 
And so it ended up total of three and a half acres. Payout was $250 an acre, so we ended up making $875. And these little openings is basically in areas where it's designed to be in areas where there's no timber value. Um, the trees that are growing there are not being very profitable and don't show signs of being profitable for the landowner. So we are cutting them completely down because a lot of times you're going to get your best your your best oak regeneration is not from selecting trying to pick around is a complete clear cut and that's what we did and uh and the benefits we got was we we did it a government program so we got paid to do it but we got more um we removed closed canopy forest on this three and a half acres so now we have a lot and i mean i was there two days ago three days ago and it's super green on the forest floor now which was last year incredibly green last year it would have been leaf litter this year, it's all kinds of green Forage. stuff growing. Yep. And so we have much better habitat, you much can, better you... cover. And as far as we have early, early successional species coming back, and we so we have both forage and cover. But then during the winter months, we're going to have cover, but also forage again as far as the winter browse. You can look from that point right now and see the stark difference between green in, in the opening where the sun is hitting and then brown leaf litter down further on, on the bottom point where sun is not getting down to the ground. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't get any more simple than that. I, I think right now you need to ask yourself, um, okay, who's got 40 acres of timber that does not have any openings? I think everyone driving down the road right now is like, ooh, me. I've got Everybody. that. This is what's available for you. And this is, a, again, a small snapshot of, of possibilities, of programs that you can enroll in. These are the ones that we chose because we know what we can do with them um, and, and what will, okay, like I said, food plots, edge feathering, um, buffer strip, bedding areas. That's what that's what we wanted to increase um, in number and quantity and quality on the property. Well, so when, this, when you look at the Prairie Hollow property on a big scale, is it's almost it's almost all timber. Yeah. And so it's like, we what's the program that we can do to open up that and get better habitat in closed canopy forest. Well, we're doing one thing on our own, and that's the timber harvest. Then yep. we're turning up and going, we need more food plots. And then we also need to open up that glade to where it's more of a your traditional Ozark glade, and then we need to do more temporary openings. So that's what we did, and to where there's more of a fragmented, um, fragmented landscape. And, and speaking of that... If you haven't already sign up for the qdma national convention and join us in new orleans because we're doing an entire presentation on this very subject of fragmenting and basically living on the edge Creating how to improve edge the edge and adding more edge to your property and this is one, this is step one of creating more edge on the prairie hollow property was adding food plots and adding better bedding areas for uh, basically by using the temporary forest openings and opening up a glade. And, and that's the important thing. If you have 40 acres, within that 40 acres, you can say where that that clear cut needs to be, where that temporary forest opening needs to be. So you can you can plan it out if you've got additional food plots off another 40-acre section, you know, other openings down down the way on different portions of the property, set a bedding area that makes sense, that, that will complement... Um, natural travel corridors for deer to get from this area that you're going to cut and make better habitat 
make better betting cover to that food plot and hunt it. It's not just a random opening. Make it make sense with your hunting plan, your strategy. Think about entry and exit. That's what we've done on this, um, knowing what the big bottoms are going to be, um, knowing the future plans there. Understanding the current deer travel patterns yep. and, and only complementing those and trying not to make a deer do something they're not they're not yeah. comfortable doing. So knowing the travel patterns, adding these little bedding areas to it to only uh, supplement that is is all part of the plan. It's the access to and from um, to be able to cut deer off going from one temporary forest opening to another during the rut is stupid. It's yeah. not even fair. Um, but again, that took a plan. We talked about it way back when on common uh, land management failures and not having a plan. This has been thought out. This has been developed. This has been looked at um, for quite some time. And now the application is coming is coming, um, coming through. And, and it's we're getting the green up. We're getting a full growing season worth oh. of regeneration. And when I was there a couple of days ago, there now the reason why we like woodlands and savannas and, and all these restoration is because that is a native, it's a native landscape that is almost vanished from our from our landscape because of lack of management. And there are species that are specific to woodlands, savannas, even grasslands that are all threatened or on um what's the word I'm looking for? They're all threatened or endangered or endangered or um they're definitely sensitive. Uh, very sensitive. Um and so it's important to where we try to monitor those and and now, this one's not threatened, I don't believe, but it is a woodland, they say, an oak woodland um, species, and that's where it thrives. And wouldn't you know it, went to that temporary opening, and mm-hmm. there's one out there just a singing as pretty as, and that was a that was a summer tanager. Um, beautiful, beautiful bird. And, uh, yeah, sure enough, he was using that within a month of, of opening it up. So that was really cool and, and very encouraging. When... when- Chad and I were doing one of the temporary forest opens. We we found another type. It was a native honeysuckle. Um, yellow that, honeysuckle. Yeah, yeah, I think it was yellow honeysuckle um, that no, hadn't been seen anywhere else. I think it was. I think it was, to my knowledge, new to me. I think Chad had seen it we somewhere seen else it on the property. But no. Right, not anywhere else on the property. Um, go there, and that's going to go bonkers um, with that additional light um, coming down to that area where there's new sprouts that uh, this year that we're seeing so you don't know what you don't know basically you don't know what that native seed what's in there but when you do cut it and open it and give it new life just watch what will come back take your iNaturalist app out there and take some pictures because it's gonna be encouraging you're gonna see a change and a difference um Another important thing about specifically that that little clear cut, that temporary forest opening, that specific view there kind of faces more of a west facing slope and almost this, northwest a little yeah, bit. Yeah, than the the Prairie Point. That one is more southwest um, and south. So we've got two options for betting um, at two different times of the year. So. And if you don't, if you don't believe us, watch. Um, set up a trail camera. Do do something over these types of areas that um, deer will follow the sun. And when temperatures change, um, they're going to be in an area where they can soak in that thermal radiation and warm up. Um, so we have these options um, based on the slope, based on the the orientation of the sun. 
at different times of the year. We're giving them options. Again, back to that word we love, diversity um, in their betting opportunities. And I think one other thing is with that cedar removal, you brought up something I totally forgot about. Um, We went back, brother and I walked back up where Mm -hmm. we cut all the cedars. And, you know, it's had yellow cone flowers and purple prairie clover and little blue and big blue and Indian grass and a bunch of stuff. Well, it's always fun to find a species when you have to scratch your head and you're like, I don't think I know that one. And when that happened on this one, it was like, I don't know what that is. And it was like a viney species that, and where it kind of like it looks almost like a the, the bloom looks like a, uh, a milkweed bloom. And we couldn't figure it out, so we went back. This was before we had the iNaturalist app. And my brother did a bunch of research, and he found it. It was called Baldwin's Milk Vine. And I had already taken pictures, and I put it. I ended up putting it into the app. But it's called Baldwin's Milk Vine, and uh, it's in the milkweed family. Um, but it's more of a vine. Right. And it cool thing, interesting thing about it, it had not been registered for that area. And it's not, it's a species that hasn't been registered much. And it was growing directly under where we had cut two cedars last year. So it didn't stand a chance where it was, but we opened up that canopy by cutting the two cedars that were right there, and all of a sudden it just started growing. Mic and drop. so um, <laughs> very, very cool. And, of course, it said it's great for pollinators and things like that. So, um, And I'm sure it has many other benefits so it was really cool to see that and then we also found big fruit um evening primrose mm-hmm. um blooming out there on that glade too and i had not seen it in that area and just the same story it was growing right at the stump of a cedar tree so um there's a lot of really cool things you know we talk about it so much we don't need to waste our time on it this time but um glades ozark glades not supposed to be overtaken by eastern red cedar Yet they are. We did something about it. We watched it just a complete change in one year of what came back. More beneficial species. So, and again, that's that's a tiny snapshot of what years and years down the road is going to look like. Oh, with for prescribed sure. fire being reintroduced there, and a um, lot more uh, timber timber harvest going on mm-hmm. in the area. And as we go and cut more and more out of that, it's just going to be so cool to see it develop. Yes. Um, the final part of film three. Your first turkey hunt in Missouri, yeah. Right? Um, for this for this year, that was actually the the second day of season um, mentioned there at the beginning of the podcast. Is we went and, and roosted those birds um, and found them in the field, watched them fly up, and had them roosted, and went back, made a game plan. It was the way that that field laid out, and the way the turkeys had roosted, kind of all around that field, made it very difficult. We had an option of being aggressive. Um, and then the option, a second option of being super aggressive. Um, we took the aggressive approach and, and played it safe. We had, of course, camera and, and um, Matt, who, who was filming, had never been there. So we had to get there in the dark. Anyhow, we find out uh, turkeys are, are maybe a little bit to our left than what we thought they were going to be. Um, but as you guys saw, uh, those birds pitched right down, right into the decoys, um, and he strutted, beat Jake up, stood on his back. And what the film doesn't show is there's two other long beards mm. that mm. were roosted a touch further left 
then this this bird that that you saw that uh, ended up taken, um, and they came. We, our backs are against the fence row with the little strip of, of Johnson grass. That was the only cover we had. So, yes, it was definitely aggressive. But the one bird pitches into the field that we were in, commits to the, the decoys. The other two pitch into the field that our backs were in, um, which is an alfalfa field. And they are gobbling like crazy, gobbling hard. Um, and they can see the bird that's in front of us committing to the decoys, walk to the decoys, and they don't like that. And they gobble, gobble, and close the distance to us. And if we had not been in the position that we were in, if we had been observing from a distance, those turkeys would have crossed in between Adam and I, who were sitting three yards apart, maybe. Um, there was totally. a, a little break in the Johnson grass um, that basically I think he was blocking or that we had to rearrange to get more cover over us. Anyhow, that was a path that I guess probably been taken um, days before, but they didn't because they couldn't see through there. But they were five yards at at max, gobbling right to, at our backs. Um, of course, couldn't move and get the the camera on it. But that was just a cool, cool little um, setup. You you can't move. My gun, my head's down on the stock. I can't move. I got a bird in decoys and two five yards away, and we're trying to communicate with Matt, who's trying to capture. He's got he, headphones on. Yeah. who really can't. All he can hear. I'm in between the mats. I'm in a mat sandwich, and Ooh, and I'm like, uh, I can hear Matt going, "Where's that bird at?" And he, he's like five yards. I'm like, dude, he's right behind <laughs> us. Stop talking. Well, he's yeah. like, I can hear another bird. Where's he at? I'm like, no, 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 stop. no. Stop. You stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> he's close. Just shut up. We're focused on the one in front of us. And uh, anyway, yeah. yeah, that was such a fun hunt. And uh, man, he flew down so early and was in the decoy so early. It was kind of and we had to milk tell, it. We had to milk it. It was that. like <laughs> we can shoot that thing, but let's make sure we get plenty of light. Yeah. Yeah. And it was still dark, but as as those birds kind of worked their way around and hit the end of the fence and were starting to come in, um, the bird you actually shot started to walk off. And yeah. it was kind of bird in hand, two in the bush. Yeah. It was like, nope, we're not even going to wait. Go well, ahead and take him. And it, it's funny, the night before had seen just a little bit of display of dominance um, in these these large this large flock of turkeys. And it was two birds kind of running around, one other tom. Um, and what we had seen that next morning was these two gobblers pitched down, stay together. And as they got closer, committed to the decoys, the bird that ended up shooting drifted away. Um, so there was definitely that hierarchy there in, in the, uh, in the flock. But like I said, one, he was in the decoys, got footage. Don't know what those other two are going to do if yeah. they're going to fully commit. So let's, let's, uh, let's take him. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. It hunt. was definitely a hunt. I'll never forget. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, for for a lot of reasons and uh you know matt and i that was that was a fun hunt and we won't ever forget it because it was so close happened so perfectly but then afterwards that's when i got the notification from my wife that the uh and when you say afterwards you mean like like two minutes (laughs) maybe as in the smoke was still coming out of the gun barrel and i had missed calls and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I, I probably turned white as a ghost. You did. And uh, was like... Your head was about what, as white what, as a turkey's. What, what, what's going on here? My wife's called me, and it's 6.20 in the morning. And usually she's she's uh, not calling me three times. 
And then she tells goes on to proceed to tell me that uh, we're expecting our first child in and uh, and that puts it in December, and that's when I turn even three more shades of white. <laughs> You're translucent at that so point. So it's like, oh man, oh yeah, Casper that, was hunting yeah, with us. That, that <laughs> it just got real. So uh, that was definitely a morning I'll never forget. Oh, I I won't forget the look on your face, and you try and you know like you're in a position when you know someone's getting news or you know something's happening, and you can't only hear like or you're only seeing one per- person's yeah. Like reaction to it. You're so like, are you gonna oh my, tell us? Oh my or? gosh! Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like, do I just want to be bold and just ask? Like, so, what's the news? Yeah. Or like, wow, well, he'll he'll say it later. But the funniest part was after that. Look, after you had told us, like, well, can't really get out of this situation because you know something something's happening. Yeah, you told us, but. I can't remember how many times I asked you. I think the rest of the morning after trying to go and and strike another bird, um, most times you're you're either calling or sleeping turkey hunting. But this this morning, later in the morning, I found you more off just staring off in the distance and kind of had to do the cold nudge. Hey, you okay over there? That news settled in yet? Yeah, I was a deer in the headlights. Like, oh man, okay. Um, I got to start a college fund. I got to do this and that. Yeah, no, uh, it was definitely a fun morning, and uh, life-changing. Rapidly, huh? Yeah, for sure. So that's something that people are going to get to hear. And and land management just got even more important to me. And and I know it's always been important to us, but it's like when you start bringing kids into the idea of it, you're like, you know, it's really more – this is a bigger deal than I have even really considered because it's like I want to make this so much better for the next generation – and uh, we talk about it so much before we ever were ever even gonna be dad um, or dads, and it's like, oh well, um, you know, we talk now about there it. Is now it's like, there's so low. We gotta do it. We gotta do it. So anyway, it brings uh, more importance of doing it right too. That's right. Yeah, and not not wasting years or or wasting time. There's um, a lot of screw ups and uh ohs out there, and now it's time to really not make those anymore. So no doubt. Anyway, would you rather? I know you said, I think you have one. I got one. Um, uh, for me, would you rather, I thought of one the other day, and I was like, man, I... I it was in Kansas. I remember, is that the one you're talking about? It was of, of the, the two different invasives. Oh, yeah, when I said, would fight? you rather have um, bush honeysuckle on your place? Would you rather buy a place to find out you had bush honeysuckle or smooth brome grass? Uh, for me automatically i think of the two different habitat types that i would find those in um for the most part and i'd say i i know which one i want Mm -hmm. um and it kind of goes with the amount of work it's going to take and the amount of uh herbicide i think i think of the the ease of application honestly um smooth brome's gonna be an open yeah i'm i'm going with smooth brome i got a utv i'm spraying that joker spraying off a tractor um and I'm just letting her eat and getting it gone. And then I have an open, open landscape for the sun to get more vegetation back there within a year. Whereas, and then and then do, you know, a touch-up or a mock-up of those areas yeah. um, in coming years. Whereas bush honeysuckle, um, it hides. You can it's have an invasion, canopy. a full invasion, and not really even know it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and and so I don't, I don't want that at all. Um, treatment can be tough because you've got other valuable um, 
species that it's growing in and around and you've got a woody herbicide you're trying to apply to it or you're doing cut stump and it's just so thick you can't yeah it's a mess i'd much rather tackle smooth brome yeah than bush honeysuckle yeah me too me too would you rather in a hunting situation with a bow and arrow take a sharp quartering away shot at 45 yards or take a 55 yard broadside shot god broadside all day long every day no questions asked i would rather take a a 40 yard broadside shot than a 20 yard quarter and away that's just i'm always more comfortable with that um i feel like i have a much better opportunity to get both both lungs i just am a i'm a broadside guy now if you were asking me would i have a t-shirt like broadside or die yeah that's right (laughs) uh would i rather shoot and i'm a not a quartering two guy at at all and you know that for me i did there's a lot of times where it's like i can do a quartering two right there but i'm not gonna if if there's a deer i'm I'm in a filming situation and you're hunting and it's a target deer my prayer as soon as we see it is don't come in offering a quartering two shot. Because I won't take it. No. Just don't do it. Please don't. <laughs> yeah. Just give me something different. Yeah. And and like last year, uh, that was, I shot a doe. That's that's funny right the there. Prairie Hollow property? No, in Kansas. The doe, did you was shoot the doe year? in Kansas or did I shoot the doe we in Kansas? We both shot a doe. We both you, shot a doe. Yes, I shot did. mine out of yeah. the tree you shot your yeah. buck out of. That's yeah. what, what I was saying was funny is because... Um, I'm having a hard time remembering who shot it because when you spend so much time in the tree stand together over the years, it's like, I know All we celebrated just, yeah. and I know a deer got <laughs> shot, but I don't remember which one actually shot it. Yep. And it was me. I shot it and she was, she was quarter, and quarter and two, but it was I, like, I was proud of you. God, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> After but holding she, for she what, came two minutes? To, <laughs> she came to like 10 yards and is like, I know I can make that shot. Yeah. And, and I know it's going to, it's a, She's not going to make it out of the field, and she didn't. But that was like, okay, if if I'm going to take that quarter and two shot, they better get doggone close yeah. before I do it. Oh yeah. And so uh, yeah, I'm going to take the I'm going to take fifty yard fifty five yard broadside shot. Now I'm not saying I'm going to do it, but if you pin me against the wall, which one I would prefer? It's a fifty five broadside. I would probably take the forty five quarter and away. Nah, probably would. And I'm going to gripe at you the whole time and, <laughs> and the i'm, whole I'm time, flinging and the I'm whole flinging. time we're tracking i'm saying if that deer if we don't find that deer you're done you're I'm done flinging so anyway 45 broadside or 55 broadside for me all day would, long head up too oh yeah that's we a whole nother even, debate you that's know our that's, our ne- a, that's that's a, our next hunting I podcast was just thinking the same thing we're doing it yeah all, all right, right. You don't guys, give it away we're not gonna give it away you're gonna have to check that out next saturday So anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast, and hopefully you enjoyed film number three. Please go to our Facebook page and leave us a review. If you haven't liked it already, please like it. You're not going to want to miss out. We have some things we're getting ready to do on there you're going to want to follow along on. So go check it out, Landon Legacy. Um, Getting ready to release a new website here very soon, LandonLegacy.tv. Go check it out. Be watching for updates with the QDMA opportunity. Seriously, we're going to take quite a bit of time over the next couple weeks, I say couple weeks, nine weeks with podcasts, talking about these online modules and how they will apply and help you. 
So be looking for those updates. Follow along. We're excited for that opportunity. Yes. All right. Sounds Peace good. out. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering on the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Yeah.